This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Pedri, 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 el solito, el balón para Cami, está para la Dembélé, gol, gol, Pedri, Cami, Dembélé, gol, 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 Usman, Dembélé, Ale, Dembélé, cruzó con la derecha. Welcome to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. My name is Ruri Barlow. I am joined by the colchonero that is Sam Leverage. We're just off the back of Atleti against Barcelona, which is, of course, the headline. We'll come into various other ties. It was a fascinating week of La Liga and a fascinating sort of setup that we have now in La Liga. But this was, of course, the Sunday night partidazo. It was a partidazo, perhaps not quite in the conventional way. There was a lot of suffering, as tends to be the case at the Civitas Metropolitano, as it's now known. Sam, how are your emotions? You've literally just come off the Metro from the Metropolitano there was that last-minute chance for Antoine Griezmann, cleared off the line, agonising. As Yeah, I mean, I was out of my seat for that one. I was convinced it was going in, and then Ronald Araujo was just there, as he seemed to be so often for Barcelona in that game. He was a real rock in defence, and yeah, it was a strange one because Atletico defensively were pretty bad, and you can't claim they deserve to win, but... At the same time, Barcelona didn't really threaten all that much after the goal, at least. They had a couple of early chances, but after that goal, on what, 25 minutes in, and then they kind of sat back and just defended the lead. And I think it said a lot. I mean, we look at La Liga this season and we're used, so used to seeing like an imperious Real Madrid or a unbeatable Barcelona. But this year, it's not like that at all. And I think that's what we saw with this game in particular. I think we saw a Barcelona team that are grinding out results to pick up the points, but they're not looking great. I mean, this is far from a strong Atletico team and Barcelona are quite happy to do the ridiculous time-wasting tricks and the kind of thing that so many Barca fans are so against, but they were happy to do that to try and grind out the result. And, and maybe that's more what Barcelona are under Xavi, a bit more pragmatic, but it's working for them. Yeah, it's a long, long, long way from what Barcelona fans kind of expected when Xavi came in, which was going to be at least not the same but something similar to what Pep Guardiola had in sort of total domination of the ball but I mean there's two ways of looking at this for me so Barcelona obviously got the win that's that was the sort of primary objective for them and, and massively important it gives them a three-point lead at the top of the table you look at these last two games you look at Osasuna away where they're a man down for most of the game they come out, come away with a 2-1 win that was a massive result just before the break and then they sort of well yeah they failed to beat Espanyol 
um, in the in the Mateo de Hoss Derby, as it will now be known. But but yeah, this is another massive win where they weren't particularly good, but they did manage to grind out the results. And I thought they defended. I don't know if I would call it well, but they did manage to hang on to their lead. And then there's the other sort of side of this where you look at it and, and you say, well, they're not playing too well without Robert Lewandowski what do they really have I mean you mentioned that kind of first half hour I thought that they were excellent for 30 minutes and then and sort of did everything you wanted them to it was like Atleti almost worked out that they were sort of didn't have any width didn't have anyone sort of going that wide apart from Dembele from time to time and so you just kind of collapsed on that kind of central area and then that that was them I don't know what you thought of the game itself and how it went yeah well, I think the, the big strength the Barca have this season is that they're very strong defensively. I think I saw the stat on the way back that this was their 12th clean sheet of 16 games, is it? And that was more than they had, 11 from 35 for Ter Stegen last season. So, I mean, when you have that strong foundation, I mean, that gives you the ability to not be so good in other areas. And I think that's very much what Barca were doing. I think Atleti started a little bit off the pace, but that's been the same in almost every game that they've played this season. They're not a team that start brightly, and I think Barca look to kind of capitalise on that. And then, yeah, I mean, I think Atleti were missing kind of that reference point in attack when Alvaro Morata came in. He gave them a bit more of a target man to aim at to kind of get out from that press from Barcelona. And as you say, kind of focusing down those wide areas, I think Yannick Carrasco and Marco Llorente really kind of had the chance to get at Jules Conde and, and Alejandro Valde, and they did cause problems. But I think with Atleti, there was just a lack of quality of cutting edge in that final third to create something. I think Antoine Griezmann, uh, perhaps this sounds a little bit more harsh than I mean it, but he sound, he looked a little bit like he'd forgotten how to play as a striker. I mean, he kept dropping very deep, almost back into that midfield role that we've seen him play a few times. But the issue was that he was dropping very deep and Jao Felix was dropping very deep and very wide and there was nobody in that kind of position with the central defenders and that meant that Araujo Christensen could kind of play it out with time and and when Morata came in, that changed a bit. So I think that was a, a brave decision from, from Diego Simeone to go with that selection. I could see why he did it. I thought that was possibly even the best team to pick. But with retrospect, you wonder if maybe if Morata had started, how would that have changed that battle in that first half an hour or so? Yeah, it was it was a weird game, I thought, especially from Barcelona's defence, because I think Jules Koundé was... I, th- I think they were all kind of fairly poor on the ball and playing out, and I think... So that's partly to do with the midfield too, but didn't really manage to to get out of that Atleti press from that kind of thirty minute mark, and that that's totally credit to Simeone to Atleti, and it it is perhaps just frustrating match this one for Atleti because it's maybe one of their better hours of the season um, against Barcelona here, but they still didn't get the result for it. G- going forward, what what are what are Atleti looking for? Because you've got the Copa del Rey and you've got obviously the Champions League, which is a must it's a necessity but yeah what are you looking for from Atleti for the rest of the season I know that's kind of a bit of a macro level to look at it from but I mean yeah this is a a damning defeat that leaves them well and truly out of the title race yeah well I think there's the Copa del Rey obviously as you mentioned I mean the only silverware they're going to get anywhere near to is going to be the Copa del Rey but I mean Levante away is possibly weirdly for Atleti the worst possible draw for them (laughs) in the Copa del Rey so, I mean, that's going to be a big hurdle to overcome. No, but I think the main focus has to be top four. I mean, obviously, with this result on Sunday night, they're, not, they're out of the top four going into the next match day round. And that's that's an issue for Atleti. I mean, having gone out in the group stages, already a big enough problem this year. 
but to miss out on qualifying for it again. I mean, it feels like we're having this conversation almost every year now. But missing out on qualifying for the Champions League would have huge financial implications for Atleti that nobody really wants to consider because this squad already needs enough of a rebuild, let alone trying to do it with much more limited finances. So I think that the top four is a must for Atleti and they just have to focus on that. It's not going to be the most exciting ride for the fans or anything like that, but I think that probably even has to be the priority ahead of the Copa del Rey. But, I mean, you just need to, to find a way to score goals and I think that's... Atleti's issue, I mean, 20 shots against Barcelona, but I was looking at it, the the XG per shot was 0.08, which I think Real Madrid's average XG per shot is something like 0.14 this season. So, I mean, it shows you the, the difference. I mean, plenty of shots from Atleti, but no real real threat. And that's that's been the story all season long. And when you can't score goals, you're not going to win the Copa del Rey. You're not going to finish top four. So, work for Diego Simeone to do. Definitely. And I'm just going to run through a list of Atleti players. I want you to tell me whether they should be important factors in the Atleti team next season. Tom Lamar. I mean, I'm surprised he's still around now. Alvaro Morata. I like Morata. I'd say Morata, yes. I'll take Morata. Antoine Griezmann, I think, is the most obvious one. 100%, yeah. Joao Felix. No. If, if we can find somebody to buy him, which is a big question... I'm not fussed if he leaves, but you have to find somebody to take him off your hands, and I'm not sure that anybody is desperate enough to do that. Maybe Chelsea. Pablo Barrios, who started and was good. Yes, he was good. I think the game kind of passed him by a little bit, but I don't think he looked out of place at all, so give him some more game time, because if you look comfortable against Barcelona, then let's see how you can get on. Yannick Carrasco? Yes, but if there was a big offer from the Premier League, I'm not sure I would say no. And finally, this one, I don't expect him to leave at all, but would he be would you be prioritising making him comfortable? Marcos Llorente? Yes. Yeah, I think Marcos Llorente is one of those players that Leti can build around. He's not been at his best for a year or two, but I think we see flashes of it. And I think now, actually, I thought against Barcelona, he was pretty good. Against Elche, he was quite good as well. I think maybe we're seeing signs that he's getting back towards that that point he's also had a lot of injuries over the last year or two as well which he never really had in his career before so I feel like he's a player worth putting your faith in fantastic interesting stuff Sam well finally just a final note on this match this was obviously a massive win for Barcelona emotionally I mean it puts some three points clear at the top of the table it's a, a rare big game that Xavi seems to have won I mean he, he won El Glasgow last season but they do seem to come far, few and far between what does this do for the title hopes and what does it do for the title race or is just just three points in a season where we'll see quite a lot of drop points? I feel like both Barcelona and Real Madrid are going to drop a lot more points before the end of the season but I do feel like mentally this weekend could have a big impact. I mean, going away to Villarreal, I mean, Real Madrid have drawn the last five times they've gone away to Villarreal but that's the kind of point that you pick up that at the end of the season makes a difference and to drop that point that they've picked up the last few seasons and for Barca to go to Atleti where I think they've only won one of their last five visits before Sunday. I mean, they were seeing these kind of all these tips and balances where you say, oh, it's only one point, it's only three points, but then at the end of the season that can really matter. So I think we're starting to see Barcelona grind out the results and Real Madrid struggle to do that. So if I had to pick a winner now, I'd say Barcelona have the edge, but it is a long season. I feel like Barcelona have a little bit more of volatility that little bit of explosiveness that it could all go very badly wrong in the space of two or three weeks and they throw it away whereas Real Madrid are that little bit more consistent maybe that 
you think you know what you're going to get. They might not be spectacular. They'll grind out some results. They'll let some results go. Whereas Barcelona could win five in a row or lose five in a row. Who knows? Yeah, it is interesting. Neither of these teams are particularly convincing at the moment, I must say. But we'll let Sam go. We'll let him get some sleep before the working week comes back around again. But thank you very much for your thoughts, Sam. Thanks, Ryan. And we'll be joined ever so shortly by Paco Polite. That was, of course, Villarreal putting Real Madrid to the sword and joined now by Paco Polite to discuss... What was, for me, one of the best games of the season? Villarreal won 2-1 against Real Madrid. Gerard Moreno got a penalty. He also got an assist for Jeremy Pino. And a penalty from Karim Benzema also. So we've got Real Madrid back into it. But just how good were Villarreal here? I mean, Real Madrid, they had their chances. Vinicius had two good opportunities. But Villarreal dominated this game, didn't they, Paco? Um, yes, they, yes, they did. And I think that we have to give uh, absolute credit to some of their players, I think. Uh, both in the midfield and at the back, Villarreal bossed the game thanks to actually two veteran players like Dani Parejo on one hand and also Raul Albiol at the back. I think they were pretty uh, proficient in almost everything that they performed throughout the game. Uh, overall, the stats were in favor of Villarreal, not only the, the goals, but also the chances, the, the, goal, the shots on target. Absolutely every single stat, uh, leaving aside obviously ball possession, which was absolutely balanced. So, yeah, I think we should uh, talk about uh, as a highlight the, the game that Dani Parejo played. Also, I spoke about uh, Raul Albiol. Also, in front, Gerard Moreno regarding the, the goal that he scored. He, he did very, very well. Jeremy Pino was once again crucial after having missed, mm, I don't know, uh, or having dropped the ball in any in, in a few other games so far this season. I believe that Kike Setien has tried to recover him in some way, try to give him more confidence, and, and he uh, definitely showed up to the game in, in a sense. And uh, yeah, overall, I think most of the players were in in possibly their best level of the of the season. Even if we speak at uh, of the keeper, for example, Pepe Reina played the game. Remember that Hedo Ruiz has left for Ajax, and and that has been a big blow for for Villarreal. Even though they have been able to to cash in for a hefty sum, but you know, veteran Pepe Reina with 40 years uh, of age, and he was uh, very I think very confident under the sticks against Real Madrid. So overall, great news for Villarreal. And, and at the same time, you really cannot say that Real Madrid were, uh, you know, uh, left the game unattended and, and that they didn't really bother about the game. I think Real Madrid went for it, but, you know, Villarreal were better overall in, in the game, both in stats and obviously in the in the final score. And that was what Carlo Ancelotti said after the game. He said, well, your analysis is pretty simple. They played better than us and it's very hard to win, even though Real Madrid do have a habit of it if you are outplayed. You mentioned sort of the individual players there. Gerard Moreno, I thought, was fantastic as well. Raul Albiol won Foyt. I thought 
pocketed Vinicius to a certain extent. If you look at the two chances that he created or that he had, they were moving into the middle away from Foyt. And, and you can see why Barcelona were kind of after him or certainly interested in him in the summer because he, he's one of, defensively certainly, one of the best right-backs in the world right now, in my view at least. Um, but yeah, this was... I, I kind of wrote about Setien and, and what this kind of meant for him and how it was quite a milestone... When we came out of the Christmas, or went into the Christmas break, Setien's, the whole narrative around him was that this was not uh, a, a man sort of in control. I think there was doubts about him, about whether Villarreal had got the right man. There was obviously the debate about whether he was going to get sacked. Late win against Valencia last weekend, which of course you... Frustrating for yourself as well. Mm. Now this victory over Real Madrid, where not only did they beat Real Madrid, but they did it playing Setien's football. What does this mean for the Cantabrian going forward? Well, I think that the the task that has been performed in during the the World Cup break uh, must have been very um, I don't know very persuading for the players because before the break uh, we had heard quite a few you know rumors here and there and 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 reports coming from uh, the the heart of the locker room talking about how the players on one hand didn't really uh, gel and agree 100% with the playstyle that Kike Setien wanted to bring in. Remember that they had been, you know, grown used to the Unai Emery style of both playing and, uh, you know, uh, developing and, and relating to each other inside the inside the, the locker room. And, and you know, it was quite a, a crash course on, on Kike Setienism for the, for the Villarreal players. But I think that they have been able to, you know, iron out all of the kinks in the last uh, two months, while the World Cup, uh, you know, took place over in in Qatar, and in the way they they showed some of that uh, improvement in some of their uh, you know friendly games being played, but they did definitely against uh, Valencia last week, and also uh, I think that they showed against uh, Real Madrid. You know, they were able to win the last game before the break, and later the following two, and finally, you know, Villarreal were mid-table side after struggling at the beginning of the season quite a few draws here and there and suddenly they become you know European contenders with only three games won in a row so that you know speaks volumes about how it seems that things are finally clicking between Kike Setien and, and the players. Yeah as you mentioned just a point off the Champions League places now which kind of seemed unthink unthinkable almost uh, just a few weeks ago but credit to Setien there. Moving on to Real Madrid because of course this is now the third game in their last five that Real Madrid haven't won in the in La Liga. Since El Clasico, I think we've seen a drop-off. We've seen them struggle against. Well, I think many people thought the problem with Real Madrid was against those kind of low blocks, against the likes of kind of Osasuna, who will hit you on the counter, Girona, who kind of sat deep but played a bit of football as well. But this was a Villarreal side that took over the midfield against them. How worried should Carlo Ancelotti be about this? Well, I think that uh, you could definitely see, for example, in the in the toe-to-toe -to -toe or head-to-head -head, uh, between Parejo and Modric, which were, you know, paired in, in several uh, moments of the game. You could see that Parejo seemed fresher overall than Luka Modric, possibly because of his involvement in the World Cup. And that, to an extent, was to be expected, you know. Um, as in, for example, Benzema, who wasn't really on point with and on target with uh, some of his finishes. Chouameni in the same way, he played also with, with France. Overall, I think that some of the Real Madrid squad, also Vinicius, I don't know, I think that they are 
coming off, you know, those weird uh, holidays after the World Cup and getting back to shape, also the, the holiday season, the Christmas. I don't know, I think that they were, some of them seemed a little rusty and, and you could definitely see that against against Villarreal. Most of Villarreal players were flying, you know, left and right and, and even in the final minutes of the game when Real Madrid often squeezed, you know, 100% of the energy and of their endurance in order to uh, level the games or even win the games, uh, Villarreal were able to just sustain that level of, of performance and that was crucial for them to win the game. So overall, I think that Things will go back to normal for Real Madrid when they uh, have a couple of good weeks with training in a regular way, you know, training, rest, uh, nutrition, over the, overall, all of the ingredients that are needed in, in top-level in top level football. And unfortunately for them, that is going to be a bit tough because they have the, the upcoming uh, Spanish Super Cup in in uh, Saudi Arabia, they also have, uh, you know, quite a few Copa del Rey games. If if they are able to win them, overall the month uh, awaits with, I believe it's seven or eight games overall, which is very, very demanding for any side, especially one as Real Madrid with so many international players who were absent uh, during the World Cup break. I mucha liga is, is one thing that is certain, the three points separating them now. We have delved deep into the title race, so we're going to move on. We're going to take a quick break now. We're going to move into the second half of the show and speak about Paco's Valencia, who, of course, are Real Madrid's next opponents in the Spanish Super Cup. But don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this brief pause. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
Welcome back to part two of the La Liga Lowdown podcast. It's Ruri Barlow joined by Paco Pollitt. And we've sort of gone through the title race there. I mean, two big performances from Villarreal and Barcelona. Well, performance is, is one word for it. Survival is another. Uh, we're moving on to Valencia, who did not survive against Cadiz somehow. I mean, I think this is one of the games that you look at as a fan. They were beaten 1-0 by sort of an early goal from Ruben Alcaraz. This is one of the games that you look at as a fan and certainly probably an analyst too is three points for Valencia. This is kind of a must win. But Gennaro Gattuso's men could not break down the Cadiz defence. Paco, what happened? Well, uh, Cadiz happened on one half. Uh, on, on one hand, I, I, I believe that they definitely deserve the win. You know, mm, through and through from the beginning of the game, they had their game plan very, very clear. They were able to score very early in the game. Uh... I think I shouldn't be too harsh on the way Valencia defended on that goal, the way Sobrino was able to run freely on the wing and make the cross for Romel Alcaraz to, to finishing from the from the border of the of the box. But you know, some players he likes Moriba, especially Diacabi, Guillamon. Valencia are suffering the absence, especially in the midfield. And I think that that is the weakest point nowadays. And, and Valencia are just falling to bits um, in that in that position in the pitch. And uh, if you add that uh, Castillejo left the game with an injury in his in his wrist, and he's going to be out for possibly a couple of months, and also Nico Gonzalez's uh, injury uh, last week, he's going to be out for at least three months. So Valencia has been losing both players and games in that position in the midfield, and and that has been the top tier level of, of criticism coming Gattuso's way because everyone realizes that Valencia really needs reinforcements over there and the manager doesn't really have the, you know, the, I would say the, the power to demand that from the uh, largest owner, uh, which is a uh, shareholder, which is Peter Lim. So uh, that regarding Valencia, the streak is awful. I think it's only one win out of the last seven games. Valencia are actually four points away from relegation zone, which is awful. And obviously the fight for Europe is nowadays just a chimeric thought because you really can't speak publicly about that when you are most of the time more worried about looking down rather than looking up. Whereas for Cadiz, I think that the, the win was definitely deserved and, and they were able to squeeze out at least for a few hours out of the relegation spots. Um, I think that they did well. I think Fali did a, a massive, had a massive game at the back. Um, unfortunately, Jose Mari suffered an injury, which is going to be very tough for him. I think between four and five months with a knee problem. Uh, and obviously, we have to speak about the the drama surrounding the beginning of the game, the kickoff, with that 53-year-old Valencia fan who passed away with a with a heart attack uh, in the stands. Obviously, both sides, both Valencia and Cadiz and all of the you know people covering the game, myself, La Liga Load on everyone, we offer our condolences for, for his family and friends. So, yeah, overall, it wasn't the best night for Valencia. Um, they have been grown to, you know, disappoint lately. And I'm, you know, I have my interest pick, uh, picked about what we are going to see in the following weeks especially in the Super Cup against Real Madrid in the semi-final. Also, the game against Sporting Gijón, I think it's a trap in Copa del Rey. It's, it's, it's going to be a very uh, an easy night for, for Valencia players. And the following games aren't going to be easy. <laughs> you know, I think 
it's Almeria at home, and later we have quite a few uh, away games. Um, Valladolid against Getafe, and then Real Madrid again. Valladolid, Zorrilla, yeah, and, and also uh, Girona in Montilivi. So overall, I think January is going to be tough for Valencia and uh, with a desperate need and, and thirst of, of winning because, again, one in seven is just not, not good enough. Neither for Gattuso or for the, for 100%. the club. 100%. And I saw Gattuso had publicly said that he wants Nahidan Nandes, but they're, they're still talking. Obviously, that Nico Gonzalez injury, I saw some saying that they were really missing Andre Almeida in the midfield and that kind of first kind of 60 minutes he eventually came on. But but yeah, Gattuso, he's, he's kind of based his game on playing nice, dominant, passing football to a certain extent. But if you cannot win that midfield battle, it's a problem, obviously. Cadiz, as you say, absolutely 100% credit to them. I think they get roundly criticised, often dismissed and kind of looked down upon because they are playing perhaps less attractive football in many people's view. But like this is a side that budget-wise and in terms of squad value is right at the bottom. And I think they're vastly overperforming yeah. their resources I think I think that we have to give credit, especially to Sergio Gonzalez, because as you said, the you know the spending on on, on his squad, the financial fair play for Cadiz is right there, you know, bottom of the league. I think it's is the lowest two or three sides. Uh, Cadiz is right there. So uh, mo everyone knew that uh, if Cadiz are able to remain in La Liga this season, is going to you know pull, be the same as pulling off uh, an absolute miracle. But you know they are on their on their road to try to do exactly that. Um, Sevilla won two their their game, so in that sense, uh, it was just you know a happiness for forty eight hours. <laughs> but you know Cadiz have the chance. It's uh, you know uh, it's beginning to look like a rat race. You know at the at the bottom of the of the league, Espanol suddenly being second to last. Obviously, Elche are the ones suffering the most, but you have over there Espanol, Cádiz, Sevilla, Celta, Valladolid, Almería, Getafe, Girona, even Valencia with 19 points, only four away. So, you know, it's it's going to be both dramatic and interesting in the in the. It's certainly months. making for entertaining watching. Well, part of that for just two seconds, I want to come on to the European race because that's also very tight. I mean, Real Sociedad got a 2-0 win over Almería. They're absolutely flying. Rayo... Unstoppable in Paco's yeah. words, and Betis beat Rao two one away from home, which is a tricky game to tricky game to win at Vieques away from home. So that leaves Real Sociedad on thirty two points, just six behind Real Madrid. We should point out, they're four ahead of Real mm -hmm. Betis, who are in fourth, and following that, Atleti twenty seven, Villarreal twenty seven, and Athletic Club twenty five, who play also soon on Monday night. And if they win, then they will move into the top four. And as Matthew Clark, our, our good statistician, pointed out, the Basque Derby will be a top four affair if that all plays out. Any quick thoughts on the unstoppable Real Sociedad or Real Betis? Um, you know, it was quite an easy pick for our friends at uh, BetUS the, the last uh, Thursday when I said that, you know, Real Sociedad would win their game, definitely. Because at this point, I don't see another side in La Liga as thriving as them. Um, they have recovered all of their injured players, at least most of them, because uh, Umar Sadiq is still out for at least a couple of months. But Odray Zabal is back. David Silva played very, very well on his birthday. And, and you know, he had a, a, a great performance overall. And, you know, their win against uh, Almeria was just... Uh, Nothing to really complain about that. You know, Almeria were just overrun 
from the first till the 90th minute. Nothing really to to object in that sense. And uh, both Abit Silva's and the Sorloth's uh, goals were, you know, um, just impossible to to overcome. Um, also pinpoint the the performance and the role that Sorloth has been having lately in the squad. Remember that he came in like a last minute addition, late in the market. Uh, his tenure last year as a loney hadn't really been that impressive, but this year without Sadiq as the big signing, without um, Oyarzabal as the you know the reference number nine because he was out for an injury, he had to step up to the plate, and he has been doing it, especially in the in the last couple of months before the the World Cup break and and in the last couple of games. So overall, I think that they are the team most informed in La Liga right now, with possibly the manager who really knows their DNA the best inside out in my view uh Immanuel Alguacil and that's why it would really be interesting to see a Basque derby with the two teams really sitting in the third and fourth place because uh, the atmosphere is going to be amazing regardless but if you have that kind of uh you know table standings on the line and that kind of pride of being able to overtake the opposition or trying to get closer to the opposition or or making wider the gap between Real Sociedad and Athletic Club, you know, it would be like the definite, the the, the ultimate ingredient in order to, to spice up even further the, the What a tremendously fun La Liga we have this year, certainly at this point. We're going to run through the rest of the games now. Espanyol, as you said, slipped into the relegation zone. 2-0 draw with Girona at home. Cesar Montes, who's their new centre-back signing, came on, but then swiftly conceded the equaliser as Yangel Herrera heading in in the last minute Mallorca another last minute sort of winner here for them against Valladolid I think it was possibly the most even game in the league this season both teams were almost inseparable for better or worse but Abdon Prats with a, a headed goal right at the end from Makanjin Lee set mm-hmm. piece Elche as you say they are they are the one side that are not competing uh, with everyone else and not being on a level and they suffered a 1-0 defeat to Celta Vigo. Iago Aspas with the goal, an important first win for Carlos Carvajal. And Sevilla, obviously, they got themselves out of the relegation zone with a 2-1 victory over Getafe. Rafa Mir yeah. the winner. Um, quick thoughts. Uh, Celta's, as you said, first win for Carvajal, which is definitely the, you know, the kind of support that he really needed in order to try to bring in his method after that you know, Chacho Coudet being dismissed and Kimbrim brought in before the the World Cup break. Also, as you said, Mallorca winning in the last minute. Um, Kangin Lee had a great game. Murici had a great game. You know, they are, we've been used to that already. Um, many Premier League games uh, following Kangin Lee's uh, footsteps and uh, plenty of rumors talking about that he could actually leave on this winter market if the right offer comes around. Let Jose Luis calling for Espanyol. I think that uh, he's on his way to become the uh, Trofeo Zarra, as we say, that the top Spanish striker this season. He's on his way. I believe he's already seven goals in or nine goals. I believe it's nine goals. Uh, massive season so far for Joselu, who has scored half of the goals that uh, Espanyol have scored this year. So in that sense, he's just huge for, for Espanyol, even though they are sitting uh, second to bottom in the in the standings. Joselu's uh, individual performance this season shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah, you really do have to feel for Joselu after going to Alaves and Alaves, keeping yeah. them sort of in the division for a few years. Then he goes to Espanyol and they're already in the relegation zone, despite the fact that, as you say, he is Trofeo Sara, which is 
absolutely yeah. wild. History, history repeats itself, definitely. Yeah, and for that point, yeah, as I was saying, where were you, those teams that were after Murici when Hoslu was moving on a free? But that's, that's for another day. Any final thoughts? Do you have a moment of the week? Do you have anything that you want to highlight from this La Liga weekend, Paco? Possibly the, the goal scored by uh, Luis Enrique for Betis was incredible. You know, the kind of uh, dribble he, he performed in the midfield and the just the, the power he showed in the run just straight into the into the box and also the, the great finish crossing the ball. I think that was one of the best goals of the of the of the weekend also we have to highlight obviously just the overall super high level scene in the in the Villarreal Real Madrid game possibly game of the season maybe not if we see the number of goals scored but you know it were two top Champions League level sides duking it out like going for it and that kind of games are the ones that we definitely need more over here in La Liga especially when you compare you know Premier League and other other uh, tournaments in La Liga we need more uh, offense oriented sides just going for it paying the just the necessary attention to defending but just trying to score as much goals as possible as many goals as possible sorry and in that sense I think that game was was absolutely massive and also you know as as we already listened in the first half of the of the of the show uh, Barca just in survival mode. Even when the night isn't really the best for them, they are able to pull it off. They allowed just another goal, but they have allowed seven goals only in uh, 16 games, which is, you know, ultimately the only way to win championships. You can score quite a lot, but if you are able to cl keep clean sheets regularly and are able to keep the number of goals allowed in a, in a very low level, ultimately good things will come to you. Particularly if you are missing Robert Lewandowski, as they will be for the for next example, yeah. two games. Uh, but Ronald Araujo really highlighting his value. But we'll play on that Luis Enrique goal, because as you said, it was it was fantastic. Graham Hunter has been a convert of his. He's been uh, exercising his poetic license to, to talk about Luis Enrique. So we'll give him his props. But my thank you for joining us once again, Paco. That was fantastic to listen to you. Um, obviously fantastic to, to speak to you too and remember that in the following days upcoming uh, you know it, it's a weird competition overall but yeah the Super Cup ultimately it's the chance of winning an official title with only two games so both Betis and Valencia especially should go for it and Real Madrid and Barca in both cases I think they have much more to lose rather than to win because if you win the trophy nobody's going really to care over there but uh, for example, if you have a final between two those two sides and whoever loses um, will suffer a big blow. But yeah, plenty of hope for, for both Betis and Valencia. Nothing really to lose, so they should definitely try to get their best players in, in top shape and, and go for it. And I think that we're going to have plenty of fun in the following days. Se marcha en el 1-2. Aguanta Luis Enrique, le pega. Gol. Gol, 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 g
del Betis! ¡Qué maniobra de Luis Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 